Father, we want everything we do this morning, but throughout all of our lives, to, to bring glory and honor to you. Father, the songs that we sing this morning, we want to bring glory and honor to you. The, the prayer that we pray now, we want to bring glory and honor to you. And now as we turn to your word, we want to hear you speak to us, because you deserve to be heard. And so, Father, we ask you to, to speak to us through your word now, powerfully and clearly. Lord, cut through any of our defenses and cut right to the heart of what we need to hear this morning. Remove anything that may distract us from hearing your word. Anything outside of us, noises, but also anything inside of us, like fears and distractions, Lord. Remove them so we can hear you speak clearly this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. You've got your Bibles with. You can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're looking at the first seven verses of chapter 5. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger, My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. I've mentioned a a number of times, or maybe a couple of times over the last few years, that I didn't grow up in a Christian home, that when I was about 10 years old, I came to faith in this small little Bible church in Montana. And I don't remember everything that the preacher said in the sermon, but I do remember that in that sermon, the main point of his sermon was the terror of hell and the beauty of heaven. And I remember hearing the sermon and sitting in the pew and thinking, I need Jesus to save me. That was cut to the heart. And it's been interesting over the years I, to, to tell that story to different people, right? That's my testimony. And so I talk to people about it and let them know how I became a Christian. And, uh, the, one of the, and, and people respond to that story very differently. And I was talking to one pastor about it uh, a couple of years ago and telling him how I became a Christian. And they responded and they said, Boy, you don't hear many stories like that anymore because you don't really hear many sermons like that anymore. 
and he's he's right. We we don't hear many sermons about the terror of hell or the beauty of heaven. And and even as Christians, we don't talk about it much. And it, it kind of got me thinking this week, why? And I'm not going to give. I, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I have the reason why or the only reason why we haven't. But one of the reasons I think, as I've thought about this for a while. As I feel like as a church, and I'm not talking about just our congregation, I'm talking the church in general. As a church, we've slid into a marketing campaign for God. And we've kind of fallen into this mentality that we have to market God to our communities in order for people to come to church and be saved. And uh, and we need to market God to the we need to make we need people to we need to make God attractive to people so that they would turn to Him and believe in Him. And what we realized was that it's not very marketable to talk about a God who brings judgment and sends people to hell. People don't get real jazzed about that idea. Uh, people sometimes get really angry about it. Uh, I've heard people say, I, I'm not going to go to church because I can't handle believing in a God who would send anyone to hell. And so since it's not attractive and it's not real marketable, we just kind of have pushed it off to the side and we've worked on creating a much more marketable image of God. That he's a soft, loving, gentle friend, wants to be there for us. He's not some kind of far-removed deity, but he's just a buddy. He kind of walks with us each day. He wants what's best for us. We can just kind of go to him whenever we want, and he's just a good listening ear. And uh, people really do like that picture. And it's really marketable in our culture. But I was thinking about a couple stories this week. Um, One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. The first one comes from the book of Leviticus. And it's about Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 2. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So they went into the temple to try to worship God in a way that he hadn't commanded, in a way that was contrary to God's command. And then it says, so fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. That doesn't sound like a buddy. (laughs) It sounds a lot more like a holy God. Um, Another story I was thinking about from the New Testament, Acts chapter 5. It's not in my sermon notes. I thought of it this morning, and I thought I would do another one. But Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. The church is, is forming, and they're excited, and people are selling houses, and they're selling land, and using the money, and giving it to the church to care for the needs of, of people. And so Ananias and Sapphira get in on this, and they sell this big chunk of land. And they take a big portion of it and keep it off for themselves, but then they come to the church and they tell them, here's everything we got from the land. So it wasn't wrong that they kept some for themselves. It was wrong that they lied and tried to tell everybody, we're giving everything we have away. 
And when they were convicted of lying, God struck them dead. Right there. Ananias and Sapphira. Again, not a buddy, but a holy and righteous God. And, and the way we see God affects the way that we worship God. If, if we see God as just kind of our buddy, then we worship him like he's a buddy and kind of like he's there for us and for our pleasure and for our purposes. And so we end up coming to worship on a Sunday morning because we want to sing. And because we want to listen, and because we have something that we want to offer, and because we want to feel encouraged, or we want to feel good, and it all becomes about us. And then we actually come into church, and we start changing the way that we do things, and we start changing the way we worship, because that worship that God has told us to do doesn't make us feel good. It's not doing what we want it to do, so we change it. But Scripture says that God is not necessarily our buddy, but He's a holy and transcendent God. That's why the last verse of our passage from Ecclesiastes 5.7 says, Therefore, fear God. Fear God. And after every one of those instances that I I mentioned, when Nadab and Abihu ended up being killed in in the temple, it says, Therefore the people of God feared God. After, after Uzzah touched the ark and was struck down, it said, therefore the people feared God. In Acts chapter 5, after Ananias and Sapphira, it said, the people feared God. And in Ecclesiastes, he's talking about this in the context of how do we worship our God? And he says, we need to worship our God with fear. We need to recognize that He's holy and transcendent. He's a lot bigger than us, and so He deserves our worship. And as we worship Him, we worship Him with a holy fear. And we need to worship remembering what happened to Nadab and Abihu and Ananias and Sapphira and Uzzah. And that has to change the way that we worship on a Sunday morning and throughout the rest of our lives, but in particular on a Sunday morning. Because when, when we worship God with a holy fear of who He is, it forces us not to make worship about us. If we worship God with a holy fear, we don't come to worship for our own pleasure and our own purposes. We come because God deserves our worship and because God commands us to worship Him. And so we listen. We, we come to, when we worship God with a holy fear, we, we come to worship and we sing songs of praise to Him, not just because we want to it, that's part of it, but we come because God deserves our worship. And He commands us to worship Him in song. And so we do that. We, when, when we worship God with a holy fear, we, we listen to God speak to us through His Word because He deserves to be heard, because He's a holy God. And He commands us to listen to Him. And so when we worship God with holy fear, the whole worship service becomes about Him and not about us. And that's why 
the author says in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 5, he says, guard your steps when you come into the house of God. Guard, watch your steps when you come into God's presence. Because when you, when you worship God with this, this holy fear, we, we live differently because we recognize that God is holy and we are not. And so he says, watch your steps when you come into the house of God. You need, don't just come rushing in thoughtlessly, carelessly, running into the house of God, doing whatever you want. No, be careful. Think about what you're doing. Slow down. You don't want to end up like Nadab or Abihu or Uzzah. And, and it's interesting as he says, watch your steps when you come into the house of God. He actually says, watch your steps, but then immediately turns to watch your mouth. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Watch how you walk, but then watch your mouth. Because they're not disconnected. And so in verse 6 of our passage, he says, Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Because we worship a holy God. And uh, our most common way of sinning <laughs> is this little guy right here. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it is. I mean, here's, here's what James has to say in the New Testament. And I, I can't read, I'm not going to read the whole part, but I encourage you after church today, go home, open up James chapter 3, and read the first, uh, I think, 12 verses. But here's part of it. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Catch that. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with the same tongue we curse human beings who are made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. My dad had a similar, his own way of saying this. I remember him talking to me saying, Jason, I've quit drinking, I've quit smoking, I've quit chewing. The hardest thing for me to quit out of any of those is swearing. Or my mouth. Because that one just, you know, drinking, smoking, right? You can separate yourselves from them, but you carry this guy with you wherever you go. And the heart that causes your mouth to speak. And so the author says when we recognize that we worship a holy God, but we worship our tongues are a restless evil full of poison and cursing, he says, watch your mouth. And even as James says, right, James says our mouths, we can come here to church on a, on a Sunday morning and one minute be praising God and then the next minute be out in the parking lot cursing someone who's made in God's image. Or gossiping about somebody. Or, or if, if that, you don't think that happens, you can be one minute praising God in church, the next minute driving home and someone cuts you off, and then guess what? <laughs> You're cursing someone made in God's image. He says this should not be. And so when we worship God, we recognize who He is, and we fear Him rightly, we watch 
our mouths, especially when we come into worship. And so in verse 2, he gives us some advice. He says, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Let your words be few. Because our mouths are filled with evil and poison, our mouths are constantly leading us into sin, and we worship a righteous and holy God, he says, maybe just keep your mouth shut for a little bit. Stop talking for a while. And he says, don't be quick with your mouth. That means don't, don't just come in and just kind of say whatever comes off the tip of your tongue, to say whatever comes into your mind. He says, no, slow down. Don't just kind of mindlessly jabber on to God or about God, but slow down and think about it. But he also says, don't be hasty in your heart. Remember, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we know that we can sit in a place and keep our mouth shut, but our heart is going on and on and on and on and on. And he says, no, we need, to, we need to quiet our heart as well. And so when we come into God's presence, we need to slow down. We need to watch. We need to quiet our hearts. We need to quiet our minds. And we need to quiet our mouths. And, and just a side note. This is, this is why every time we do a congregational prayer, I say, let's take a few moments to do what? Quiet our hearts and minds before the Lord. Why? Because He's in heaven and we are not. And, and we're told, check yourself. Get your heart and your mind ready. Because when we pray, right, we are, we are entering into the very presence of God. We're entering into God's throne room. We better not just come kicking the door down, running in and screaming and saying whatever comes onto our mind. We need to recognize we're standing in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we need to get our hearts right. We need to come in humility. We don't deserve to be there, but God lets us come in there. So we need to take a moment, check ourselves, get our hearts and our minds right, and then come into God's presence. And then the author says, when we do speak, let our words be few. And then he he builds off of that, and he says, okay, guard your steps when you go to the house of God, but go near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. So, so as we get this picture, we begin to rightly fear God and we, we check our hearts and our minds and, and our mouths. We begin to recognize that it's better to listen to what God has to say than to offer the sacrifice of fools, is what he says. And the sacrifice of fools is the sacrifice of fools comes when we come into God's presence thoughtlessly, irreverently, and just kind of go on. That's the sacrifice of fools. Thoughtless, irreverent, jabbering on. Or or the sacrifice of fools comes when we just rush in and, and without getting our hearts and minds right before God. And he actually says those who offer the sacrifice of fools don't know that they're doing anything wrong 
because they haven't taken the time to ask what God wants them to do. They just rush in doing whatever they want to do. So they don't even know that they're doing anything wrong. And so he says, don't do that. Don't offer the sacrifice of fools just rushing in thoughtlessly doing whatever you want to do. Enter God's house ready to hear what he has to say rather than focus on what you have to offer. And I want to say that again. We're told to come into God's presence, come into God's house, more focused on what God has to say to us than what we have to offer to Him. More focused on God than on our gifts and talents. More focused on God than how well we can sing or how well that person can sing. More focused on God than what that person is thinking or that person is wearing or what everybody's thinking about what we're wearing. Focused on God. Because this isn't about us. This is about our holy God who deserves and demands our worship. And because He's a holy God, we can't rightly worship Him apart from Christ. We cannot worship God rightly apart from Christ because, as I've said, He is holy and we are not holy. He is righteous and we are sinners. And apart from Jesus Christ... We are separated from God, we're left in our sin, we're without hope, and we're sitting under the judgment of God. That's true. And there's no way we can worship God rightly. But when we look to Christ, and we see Christ as being perfect and holy and righteous, and we see Christ hanging on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and rising again from the dead, proving that He is God, and we put our faith and trust in Him to forgive our sins, to give us His righteousness, then what happens? A way is opened up for us to enter into the presence of God and to rightly worship Him. Hebrews 10. It's a little longer passage, but I want to read the whole thing. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that means the very presence of God, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, Christ's body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled clean hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching we cannot come into the presence of a holy God apart from Jesus Christ we, we live in a world separated from Christ unable to worship God rightly but through Christ through when we trust him we can now enter into God's presence with confidence but with a proper fear of God still 
Confidence doesn't mean flippant. It means reverently, confidently, wholly worshiping our God. And through Christ, we can now enter into God's presence and, and draw near to listen to what He has to say rather than rushing in and offering the sacrifice of fools. And through Christ, we can actually show up every week to worship, more focused on God than on ourselves. Watching our mouths, <laughs> watching our steps, and ready to hear what God has to say to us each and every week. And then responding and worshiping Him with a holy fear. Let's come to our God in prayer. Father, we come to you first off responding with by asking forgiveness Father too often we forget that you are holy and righteous too often we forget that you are in heaven and we are not and we try to lift ourselves and exalt ourselves so Father we ask you to forgive us and change our hearts and minds so that we see you for who you truly are as the God seated in heaven surrounded by angels who cry out holy, holy, holy help our hearts and minds to cry out holy, holy, holy each day as we live Father, change our hearts so that as we come to worship you each week we come more focused on you than on ourselves Help us as we worship you throughout every day of our life, whether we're with our family or at work or doing something fun, that we worship you as a holy and righteous God. Father, may everything we do praise you. We ask that your spirit would give us strength to watch our steps and to watch our mouths as we live each day, and in particular as we come to worship each week. May we draw near to listen, not offer the sacrifice of fools. Lord, we want to listen and we want to offer up things that bring praise and glory and honor to you. And so help us to do that. We pray all of this in the name of your faithful Son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.